The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And have I got some secrets for you. Well, actually not me, but my guest, Nick Redfern. We're going to be talking today about the secrets world powers don't want you to hear. And, you know, there's a lot we've been talking about, you've been hearing people talk about, I'm sure, or talking yourself about uh, keeping the secret of Santa Claus. You know, whenever Christmas comes, it's like, when do you tell your child? Um, when do you spoil their innocence? There was a story about some teacher who told her whole second grade class that Santa Claus doesn't exist. I mean, really, that, that, that's sad because you're spoiling the innocence of a child. But the secrets that we're going to be talking about today <laughs> have a lot more of a consequence than uh, disappointment. In fact, it's vital that you hear about some of these because um, your life may depend upon it. Um, Nick Ridfern is the author of a new book called Keep Out, Top Secret Places, Governments don't want you to know about. And he lives to investigate and expose these secrets, much to the consternation of those in power. But fortunately for us, he has devoted himself to this. So welcome to the show, Nick. Well, thanks, Carol. Um, as you know, it's, this show is Dr. Carol's Couch, and I generally put my guests on the couch to start with. Because, you know, I've read you have an incredible bio. You're a lecturer. You contribute articles to different publications. You've been on in the media, uh, including Coast to Coast, that I was just telling you I was on as well with George Nori. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, your whole life <laughs> is devoted to um, all the mysteries of the universe, in a sense, from uh, strange sightings of animals to things related to the war on terror and so on. And... Um, you know, as a psychiatrist, <laughs> it makes me wonder what kind of secrets were going on in your family. <laughs> well, I, I would stress, I mean, I don't, it's probably not correct I devote my entire life to this. I mean, you know, joking aside, I, I'm the sort of person who realizes the importance of having a totally normal life, um, you know, and balancing it out with the sort of work I do. You know, I mean, people might be surprised at sort of how normal, you know, my sort of regular life is. You know, I'm happily married, got a beautiful wife, and, you know, we just do our own thing and just the normal things everybody does. It just so happens that, you know, in terms of my job, I write about weird stuff. You know, I think sometimes there's this tendency to think that if somebody writes about conspiracy theories, you know, you're constantly looking through the curtains, waiting for the men in black to turn up or 
every hang-up phone call is the government watching you. You know, I don't, I don't fall into that category. I, you know, we do the regular things of going out for well, dinner and watching American Idol. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know literally, uh, of literally. course, there have been some conspiracy theories about that too. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. no, but it, it is true, though. I mean, maybe now it, it's. You know, I'm sure there are regular parts of your life, but it is true that you've traveled the globe um, trying to get to the bottom of a lot of these things, and that does require a lot of dedication. So it makes me think that, you know, a typical, or, well, it's not typical, but a childhood of someone like that might well have been something where, I mean, it was something, whatever, you tell me, but it was something that spurred you on to develop this curiosity about getting to the bottom of things. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things I would also stress is that primarily I focus on, although, you know, it's sort of government secrecy, I don't investigate sort of like political conspiracy, anything like that. It's purely related sort of paranormal, supernatural, UFOs and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm not someone who's actually never had, you know, like a definitive UFO or, you know, provable paranormal encounter. The reason I got interested is my father was in the British Royal Air Force and worked on radar and um, he was actually involved in a number of UFO incidents back in the 1950s Hmm. um, where strange fast-moving objects were tracked flying over the English North Sea approaching the coastline and the first thought was you know this has to be some sort of sneak attack by the Russians or something like that even though these objects were flying at fantastic speeds and carrying out all sorts of weird maneuvers so aircraft were scrambled to intercept these things. You know, the pilots reported they couldn't even get close to them. Um, and this went on for several nights to the point where eventually everybody involved in the incident was sworn to secrecy and told not to talk about it. Hmm. And my, my dad didn't tell me about it until I was like 13 or 14. And, you know, not just because it was my own father, but because, you know, he was trained on radar and to understand the complexities of how radar works and you know, how it tracks things and what it tracks, um, it made me realize that, you know, there was something to this, to the UFO mystery, a subject which I hadn't really given any thought to before. Hmm. So I began reading books on the subject, um, you know, things like that. And then when I left school, I began working on a music magazine in England. I went into sort of into journalism. And after a while, although I still do a lot of mainstream, just regular, normal journalism stuff today, I thought, well, why not try and combine the background in journalism Mm. with the interest I developed in, you know, paranormal type stuff? And and that's what I do, you know, even though, as I say, you know, um, I do a lot of other um, sort of just just regular feature writing for for magazines and things Mm -hmm. like that as well. Well, that's very interesting. So um, did your father pick that age because he thought that you were able to handle it then? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, it's like any sort of belief system. If you're instilled in it at too young an age, you're not in a position to determine whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, the, I mean, I, it's probably difficult for me to comment or I'm the wrong person to comment because I don't have kids. But, you know, it, for me... I wouldn't be indoctrinating, which I view it as, my kids to any belief system mm. of, of a religious nature or any, any nature because to do so at a young age, they're, they're not able to differentiate between fact, fiction, and what may be true versus what we can prove is true. And I think everybody should be allowed to make up their own opinions on, on any controversial issue, which is precisely why... You know, when I write my books, I'm very careful as to say what we can prove as fact versus what we 
can view as rumour or hearsay. And hearsay and rumour should certainly not be placed, you know, on the same um, lofty level, if you like, as fact and reality. We need to differentiate and, and demonstrate to people that, you know, it's like with my dad's experience, they tracked something on radar that was unknown. It would be wrong of me and, my, and also my dad, who's, who's still alive and still talks about this case. It'd be wrong of both of us to say that means it was an alien spacecraft. Mm. It doesn't. It means they tracked something weird and the government of the day didn't want them talking about it back in the early 50s. And so, you know, that, that's sort of the approach I try and take. So have you um, and or your father been able to find out more about that event, what that actually was? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because a number of other people have now have come forward who are also involved in that same military exercise. It was a, a NATO exercise called Codename Mainbrace, which occurred off the east coast of England. And it was while the exercise was at its height that there were numerous sort of intrusions by UFOs over the North Sea where a lot of the maneuvers with battleships and, and uh, warships were taking place, and even aircraft carriers. Um, and a number of NATO nations were involved, like the U.S. and the U.K., etc. Um, and since, um, probably since about 97, 98, when I've been digging into this at a deeper level with this uh, specific case, um, one of the things I've found is that, you know, fortunately, a number of the, the people who were also involved in the incident are still alive, and probably now I have testimony of, I would say probably at least 20 people who, in different capacities, were involved in Exercise Mainbrace and were either implicated in or knew of these UFO incidents. And although, you know, we, we still don't really know what happened, what we, are, we do know from the people who are involved was that checks were made, you know, to determine if these things were sort of secret British aircraft, American aircraft, or in a worst case, Russian spy planes. And everything just came up a blank. So, by definition, you know, they remain UFOs in the sense that they're unidentified and they were flying and they were objects. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whether they were anything else more exotic, you know, in terms of coming from somewhere else, you know, that, that's an issue that we just unfortunately don't have the answer to. Hmm. And was there any consequence for your father or for these other people actually uh, coming forward and talking well, about it? I mean, there could have been, because anybody who joins the British military has to sign what's called the Official Secrets Act. And that basically covers, you know, it basically ensures you won't talk about um, certain events, you know, that might have a bearing on national security. You know, they don't care if you talk about, you know, what sort of lunch meat they put on the sandwiches <laughs> in the, you know, the, the base canteen or whatever. But, you know, anything that has a bearing on national security, that's a very different issue. However... The British government has, uh, or used to have, what was called the 30-year ruling, which essentially meant that, you know, for the most part, all secrets and documents, etc., should be declassified after 30 years, although there were provisions that allowed for documentation to be, continue to be withheld. And today, with the new or the more recent Freedom of Information Act, you know, it's ensured that more files and documents are surfacing, although, again, you know, a, tr a tremendous amount of material can still be held back. So, in other words, the older it gets, and if the government denies it has any validity to it, which they do with UFOs, you know, there's, there's never been a case of sort of real comeback on someone who's spoken out about UFOs at an uh -huh. official level. And I think this is because governments recognize that if they go after somebody in the military who spills the beans... 
and takes action, by default, mm. that sort of adds weight to what the person's saying. Mm, yes, but the best yes. approach for the government is really, you know, if some retired colonel comes forward from the Pentagon and says, you know, I saw alien bodies in frozen storage, you know, in some underground vault, taking action against that person is probably the worst thing the government could do mm. because it would actually bring more publicity in that, towards that person's story rather than less publicity. You know, if the government just says, oh, you know, this is just nonsense, we, we don't care what he says. Yes, yes. People look the other way then and, and walk away. So. Yes, and was, was that one of the things that you investigated as well? Was that, did that happen, what you just said? Was there... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, in 1997. Uh, I actually used that as an example. In 1997, um, a now um, deceased um, former colonel um, with the U.S. military named Philip Corso, came forward and spoke on the record. He wrote a book called The Day After Roswell, in which he claimed that aliens really did crash at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, that he'd seen bodies, that he'd worked and handled some of the recovered alien technology. Now, Corso's story was intriguing and controversial because he wasn't, you know, some sort of shadowy Mr. X type character, you know, hiding in the background or anything like that or some secret whistleblower, he, he held a, a position of some sort of prestige within the military and, you know, worked in the Pentagon and elsewhere. And, you know, the, the government, interestingly enough, hasn't actually commented on his book. You know, they actually haven't said anything about it at all. And he mm. died in 1998 um, when he was in his mid-80s then. You know, he was very old when he came forward. You know, he, he didn't write his book, I think, till he was like 81. Hmm. Um, so, in other words, whether the story is true or not, even when we have somebody like this coming forward, the government doesn't take action. You know, and that's you know that's the sort of stuff I write about. Yeah. Um, but the well, government does take action. You know, when somebody sort of, as you can understand, sort of spills the beans on, you know, the the capabilities of U.S. spy satellites, which well, you would we, understand because you know we this is the sort of stuff that protects us, and nobody yeah. should be talking about that sort of stuff. That's yeah. just you know, that's just basically being reckless if you're going to spill military secrets that are going to are designed to protect us. But when yeah. the government says UFOs aren't real, <laughs> then I don't see there's any problem in investigating a phenomenon that they, says, they say has no merits. So. Mm. Well, we'll have to continue that when we take a break, okay. after we take a break. My um, guest is Nick Redfern. His new book, which is obviously... Uh, very interesting. It's called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. And we're going to continue to explore these top secret places. When we come back, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the secrets world powers don't want you to hear. And the person who is blabbing these, these secrets is my guest, Nick Redburn. And, and fortunate for us, fortunately for us, he is. He's the author of a new book called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. And Nick, um, you don't, well, I don't know if you know this, but I haven't mentioned it, um, that one of the books that I've written is called um, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. Mm-hmm. And it was actually published by a London publisher. But anyway, I've been researching terrorism for years. Mm-hmm. And so I was particularly interested in what you write about in regard to the September 11th attacks and the secret bunkers that, mm-hmm. in a sense, we all sort of vaguely know exist, but we don't really know much about that. Mm-hmm. And so why don't you tell us? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it it makes kind of a lot of sense that in sort of today's fraught world, you know, with with terrorism and things like that, that that bunkers and, you know, underground secure facilities will be built, you know, and and ones that already exist that, you know, perhaps built back in the 40s, 50s and 60s to combat, you know, the effects of like a nuclear attack if there was a war, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with the Soviet Union back at at the height of the Cold War. You can understand, you know, why these facilities were built. And certainly in today's world, you know, where the enemy doesn't wear a uniform, you know, like the Nazis or whatever, that they could be your next door neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, it sort of provoked this to a fair degree, you know, like an atmosphere of paranoia and distrust. And sort of born out of this is the fact that there's been sort of tremendous, you know, additional building of, of bunkers for, um, you know, the military, government, etc. And... Um, and you can understand that, you know, we hear a lot of talk about secure locations, you know, when the uh, when there are threats and things like this and the president or the vice president vanishes somewhere and, you know, we don't really get to know where they are, so to speak. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, the sheer wealth of, of locations that exist, you know, below our feet, um, you know, all across the world. I mean, there probably is not a single country on the planet in the developed world that, mm you know, does not have a significant number of emergency procedure locations, if you like, you know, in the event that there's some sort of above-surface catastrophe, they can all vanish below surface, which I guess is good news for them, but not necessarily the greatest news for the rest of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> so how, when you've been investigating this, um, 
I mean, how have you been able to find where some of these locations are? Or Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, a lot of these places, like, I mean, as I said earlier in the show, you know, I primarily focus on the UFO links to these things rather than just sort of straightforward political conspiracies mm-hmm. and things like that, which isn't really my area at all. But, you know, a lot of these places, the, you know, we, I call them in the book sort of off-limit areas and things like this and high-security places because, rather than secret places because, ironically, we know about them. It's just that we're not able to access them. You know, places like Area 51, you know, it's like Area 51 is probably the most well-known secret base, which kind of sounds like the ultimate oxymoron or something, mm-hmm. you know, that, that somewhere can be secret mm-hmm. and well-known at the same time, but it is. You know, so in other words, when we say, you know, well, how do we find out about these places? You know, we can interview people who work there. We can, you know, even see pictures of them on, on Google Earth or whatever, um, you know, from, from satellites. Mm. But the problem is we're not able to access them. So to a degree, you know, when people, whistleblowers and people come forward to relate their accounts, you know, the, the big problem is, as I mentioned earlier, how we kind of determine the difference between what we can prove as fact and what is sort of the rumor mill. And I think that, as I point out in the book, you know, I'm careful to point out that some of the stories coming from these locations, we can prove as fact. You know, like, for example, at Area 51, back in the 50s and 60s, the the military was uh, designing sort of prototype spy planes, and it was also at Area 51 where the famous um, stealth technology for the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber was developed. But there are also stories coming from Area 51 of, you know, crashed UFOs and alien bodies stored at the base, but those stories are still at rumor mill level. So in other words, you know, like a lot of these uh, bunker stories, for the, you know, in the, in the modern era, um, there's a lot of challenges that we face in, in trying to, you know, determine what the truth is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about this now um, in the current context of the economic uh, recession, the problems, um, because there's a lot of people who wouldn't believe in conspiracy theories or wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory, but who are just now wondering, well, where did all the money go? Who has it? Where did they hide it? Um, it makes it, you know, and of course all the, you know, and especially now with the presidential ele- election looming and all of that, there's this um, inter- and especially the, the, you know, as a physician, um, uh, I'm particularly concerned about Obamacare and so on, and this whole idea that the people in government um, don't have to have the same kind of Obamacare that uh, he's trying to push down all of our throats. So it's the same kind of thing that there is seems to be this this um, special <laughs> special uh, benefits to being one of the power elite. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, where, where does all the money go, etc. I mean, one of the ways and means by which, and again, this applies to numerous governments, um, the, way, the ways and means by which secrets are held and, you know, facilities undertake work that we never find out about, is that they, um, they utilize what are known as so-called black budget projects. Mm. And black budget projects, basically, are where governments fund one particular agency or departments, but the the funding doesn't um, isn't covered by you know official oversight. Um, in other words, you know there's no independent oversight as to what's happening with the funding or what projects it's being funneled mm. and channeled into. And of course, 
you know, it, it's like, for example, you know, in England, where I'm from, um, you know, there, there are sort of departments within government that say, for example, you know, one agency goes 10 million English pounds over budget, they can then look into it to see where the extra spending went. But when you have a situation where it's all couched under a black budget, which may have a bearing upon national security, mm. unless those people have clearance, you know, they can't, even they cannot find out where the money's gone. You know, the government just says this is a project that has a bearing on the national security mm. of the United Kingdom, and that's the reason why it remains hidden. So, in other words, that's what happens, you know, with, with funding. It vanishes into sort of this black ether, if you like, and, uh, and then gets funneled into the relevant project or the relevant secret location, and, and that's the end of it as far as certainly the general public is concerned, and, and also for most people within government who just don't have clearance to know and, and, or to look into it even. And that's how secrets are kept as well. So. Well, you know, I never had thought of that. That's, that's very interesting because, um, one, th therefore that begs the question that if we're, if we seem to be missing more money these days, I mean, it, one would wonder whether that's because there are more of these, um, black budget secret projects that, that have to be protected. Yeah, and I think, you know, in, again, in today's sort of fraught world, you know, a lot of this goes on legitimate programs to protect us, mm -hmm. you know, which we need. But on the other hand, you know, it, it is kind of frustrating for a lot of people when, you know, funding for other things falls by the wayside that affects and impinge upon every one of us every day. Yeah, you know, that's... it's like, for example, millions could go into a particular black budget at the same time that, you know, the post office is cutting back and on its services, yes. you know, the things that affect each and every one of us. Yes, yes. Um, you also talk about um, the, no, the, how the, the 2012, well, why don't we, I don't, there's so much I want to ask you about, I don't know what, mm -hmm. but the 2012 controversy, how that ties in with secret government installations. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I'm sure everybody, you know, whether they believe these stories or not, everybody knows about the the, the 2012 stories about how the Mayans, uh, the Mayan culture um, predicted that 2012, December 2012, will see the end of what they called uh, the current Earth cycle and the start of the next Earth cycle. And, you know, this has sort of provoked a lot of TV documentaries in the United States, um, you know, on the idea that in December 2012, you know, the Earth's going to come to an end or civilization's going to come to an end and there's going to be, you know, massive earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes, and, you know, the civilization will just end up in, in ruins and we'll be forced to start again. Um, the, the reality of the situation is that there's actually nowhere in the Mayan prophecies does it actually say that's going to occur. All they really say is that December 2012 will mark the end of the latest in a, in a series of cycles in the human race's existence. And, of course, it's that sort of emotive term cycle that has left a lot of people wondering, what does that mean? You know, some people just take the view that it will be sort of like a spiritual mind shift or something along those lines or a different appreciation of the world itself. You know, we, we just don't really know. But, you know, the idea that not much is going to change doesn't really, you know, attract much attention. The mm -hmm. idea that apocalypse is just around the corner <laughs> does. Yes. 
And what this has also provoked, and again, you know, I point out in the book that this is very much the theories of the, you know, the conspiracy theorists rather than my view. You know, I've tried to remain detached and say this is what this side thinks and this is what that side thinks. But one of the big beliefs of conspiracy theorists is that the sort of development and extension of vast bunkers and caverns and things like this around the world isn't just a response to, you know, the, the, the tense situation in the, you know, the last 10 years after 9-11, but it, that it's preparation for governments with secret insider knowledge preparing for 2012 and, you know, planning to save small percentages of the population. Hmm. All very interesting. We will be back with more from my guest, Nick Redfern, and his uh, latest book called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. So stay tuned. I'm sure you're riveted. riveted. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Nick Redfern, whose book that we're talking about, and he's written many books. Uh, this current book is called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. And we've uh, been running through a bunch. Um, and actually, so you were, we were talking about the 2012 controversy before the break, and you were mentioning weather. Um, and that kind of brings up the question of, is there some kind of, is one of the secrets... <laughs> some kind of manipulation of weather and, and as a way of using that uh, to destroy other civilizations, for example. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a, a very controversial area, but it's actually one that is steeped in, in science and reality. 
the idea that, you know, as our technology as a species develops and, you know, our military capabilities advance, one of the theories that's been put forward, or one of the ideas, is to try and weaponize the weather. That's to say, deliberately create and invoke things like earthquakes, tsunamis, um, huge hurricanes, and things like that, to where you could actually use such weather-based warfare and technologies against an enemy without actually having to even invade them or mm. take over the country or, you know, no dispatching aircraft, tanks, battleships, troops, or anything like that at all. And, of course, you'd have plausible deniability by just saying, well, it was nothing to do with us. It was just right. Mother Nature, so how to speak. Now, a lot of people assume, well, this, you know, this just cannot be. The idea that we could, you know, create earthquakes and direct a hurricane to, you know, actually approach a particular city or a military base to destroy it. You know, people think that this is just X-Files type stuff, you know, mm -hmm. or something for, for the TV. It actually isn't the case at all. Um, I'll give you an example. On April the 28th, 1997, the then U.S. Secretary of Defense, William S. Cohen, he gave the, the keynote speech at the um, University of Georgia-based Conference on Terrorism, Weapons of Mass Destruction, and U.S. Strategy. And I'll quote you. These are his actual words, which you, know, you can find on the Internet. It's not a story. He said, um, uh, Secretary of Defense Cohen said that there were powerful shadowy forces out there who were, quote, engaging in an eco-type of terrorism where, whereby they can alter the climate, set off earthquakes, and volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. Hmm. So there are plenty of ingenious minds out there that are at work finding ways in which they can wreak terror, terror upon other nations. It's real. That was his last word. Wow. So when you have the Secretary of Defense, William Cohen, talking about sort of shadowy, powerful, hostile forces looking to set off earthquakes and volcanoes as, a weapon, as weapons of war, then, you know, it, again, it's not sort of rabid conspiracy theorists, you know. And the big question is, you know, are the hostile nations out there and hostile entities, if you like, that are, you know, at secret locations clandestinely working on some of these types of programs? And, you know, within the conspiracy research field, there are a lot of people who believe that, you know, the whole, mm. the whole subcultures of conspiracy research that, you know, just focus on the idea that weather manipulation is taking place. Hmm. Which, of course, is particularly interesting since, uh, well, since that's what's supposed to happen in 2012, one yeah. of the things. Well, and you know, and it start, it's already started happening in 2011. Well, you know, that, that's actually one of the, again, one of the sort of the sub-projects sub or issues relative to 2012 is that if the, even if the mind prophecies don't come true in the way that most prophecies don't, that could it be that somebody will sort of manufacture the prophecy, mm. you know, and, and create a, a bogus 2012 disaster or something like that? Yes, yes. Some, somebody looking for attention. <laughs> right. it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be some political, you know, reason. It could just be, uh, well, I guess it has to be somebody with access to all this information, so there, yeah. there probably is some kind of greater, greater reason than to just get attention on the evening news. But, but um you know, I, I, I'm sure you remember how 2011 started with the birds dying and the, you know, birds and fish. And, I mean, there have been so many mass deaths. That's another, I mean, have you? Well, yeah, I've actually covered that in relation to these stories about the weather because, again, within this, the, within the uh, community of conspiracy research that focuses on weather manipulation, there are a lot of people who believe that those 
massive bird deaths that occurred sort of roughly just under a year ago, you know, all across the world. It wasn't just the, you know, within the United States. There were people who, you know, actively researching the idea that this was due to some sort of reckless dabbling and kind of, um, you know, experimentation with the weather just Mm. to see what the response would be. And the theory was, well, you know, before it's used on whichever nation decides to deploy it, why not see how it works first on animals? And then if it works well on animals, you can guarantee it's going to work on people as well. So, Hmm. you know, that's the theory that many of the conspiracy theorists were looking at at the time. And, and, you know, a lot of these so-called bird watchers, as they become known within, you know, conspiracy theory um, circles, the the idea that, you know, that they keep watch on these sort of mass die-offs of animals even now. Yes, I mean, you know, in California we had one um, of the sardines, the masses of sardines that... I mean, there have been a bunch of these different things all over the world, as you said, um, and and because they started around the beginning of the, you know, I think it was was it December thirty first, or it was right around the beginning of yeah. uh, of the new year, yeah. it kind of made it even more eerie. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. What yeah. else? You t- also, you've looked into suspicious deaths of scientists mm-hmm. um, in the field of microbiology. What's that about? Well, yeah, this relates to um, a place called Porton Down in England, where I'm from. Uh, well, I should say from England. I'm not from Porton Down. <laughs> um, but Porton Down is um, a classified installation in the south of England, which deals with issues, um, you know, related to things like biological warfare and chemical warfare, you know, bacteriological warfare, the sort of things, you know, that we probably fear most today in the sort of age of terror rather than, you know, atomic weaponry. Um, you know, you only have to look at things like the anthrax outbreaks of a decade or so ago. Um, and Porton Down undertakes research, like defensive research, to try and understand and combat, you know, if in a worst-case scenario a hostile nation unleashed on the British Isles, you know, a, a, a virus of deadly proportions, Porton Down would be the people who would try and, you know, determine how we would combat it mm. and provide vaccinations, that sort of thing. But what's interesting and kind of a little unsettling is that over the last um, decade or so, a number of scientists in the in the field of microbiology who either wor- worked at Porton Down or um, were closely allied with it and tied to it died under very mysterious circumstances. Um, in cases, for example, one that was blamed on a, on a suicide, but, you know, he had all the hallmarks of like a staged suicide. Another one where a guy um, was actually one of the most senior people at Porton Down died in a, a suspicious plane accident. Uh, another one who died uh, or reportedly died of a stroke, but the circumstances, again, were sort of viewed as being um, sinister. And these are all in a sort of very clearly delineated time frame, and all these people were linked with research into things like exotic viruses at Porton Down. Um, and, again, there's, a, you know, there's a, a culture, again, within conspiracy research that just focuses upon, you know, these scientists' deaths and kind of, you know, they, I guess, essentially follow a path of, you know, watching the microbiologists, um, you know, and, and cataloging all these cases. And there's actually a tremendous number of now have died under weird circumstances. And uh, one of the more sort of disturbing theories is that there are sort of like undercover terrorists, <coughs> excuse me, terrorist cells from the Middle East who are sort of wiping out these scientists one by one 
to prevent the Western world from mm. developing, you know, um, antidotes and cures for weapons they may unleash on us. Um, you know, there are, there are all sorts of different theories, mm. you know, sort of outlining what might happen or why this is being done. But what is interesting, and uh, that's why I mention in the book, is because you cannot, regardless of it's, whether it's accidents or just some weird coincidences or if it really is murder, what is intriguing is that many of these cases can, and people can be traced directly back to the Port and Down installation. Wow. <laughs> now, what about um, the scientist, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but there was a scientist in the States um, who, on whom the anthrax, um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. uh, sending the anthrax envelopes and so on was blamed. And I never totally believed, and then he committed suicide, supposedly. Yeah. And I never really totally believed that um, that he was the one. It seemed like something was being covered up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, again, you know, the... the um the the guy in question and the and the place in question this all revolved around a place named Fort Dietrich um, in Maryland which kind of does basically the same sort of work as Port and Down does in England you know it's sort of a, a similar sort of location that um, that handles research into biological warfare and chemical warfare you know and uh, protecting the the country etc and um, you know, I'm sure everybody who lives in the U.S. will, you know, will remember quite vividly the the anthrax outbreak of this, of uh, 2001. You know, when uh, envelopes were sent to various people. You know, and it sort of, you know, spurred on this this whole sort of terror situation for for weeks and months right. on end. But um, the the, the the FBI got very involved in you know trying to determine quite naturally who was behind it. And their conclusion was it was a man named Dr. Bruce Edward Ivins, who's a microbiologist, yes. who actually worked at Fort Detrick for around 18 years. I think it was just under 20 years anyway. And, um, you know, of course, the, the natural assumption was at the time, well, it, it's got to be terrorists. But by the time the FBI concluded its um, investigation, the overriding conclusion was that, you know, it was nothing to do with terrorism. It was all the work of Dr. Ivins. Now... You know, again, there have been people who've suggested, well, you know, was he a patsy? Um, was he the fall guy? Yeah. Was he just the public face of a larger body of people? Mm. Or, or was it somebody else entirely? You know, we, we just don't know. And again, you know, I point out the, what we know versus what the conspiracy theorist thing can believe. And, you know, my, I, again, I try and keep my views out and or it's difficult to have a view on it but just present the different sides of what people are saying to see where it, you know where it all leads but i mean this again is a classic example of how you know a, a significant event in military history in the u.s has sort of you know been tied in with a, an installation undertaking sort of highly secret and um and classified works yes i um you know, I mean, yes, of course, people, some people who commit crimes, especially, you know, a big crime or a shameful crime like that, um, you could, it would be within the profile for them to commit suicide. But on the other hand, I mean, you know, because they wouldn't want to go through the trial, they wouldn't want to shame or to bring shame on their family or whatever. But it just seemed like there were so many, um, I don't know, so, so many things that it didn't really tie together. Mm-hmm. That um, that it w- there was really no clear motive for why it would have been him. 
No, there actually wasn't a, pre- a clear, really sort of, you know, credible motive, no. Well, we do need to take another break. The time is flying, um, <laughs> controlled by the government, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My guest is Nick Redfern. His book is called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. And we will be back with more of these top secrets. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, Nick Redfern, with his new book called Keep Out, Top Secret Places Governments Don't Want You to Know About. Uh, we've been covering some of the most uh, fascinating top secrets, <laughs> scary and fascinating top secrets. Um, it's like uh, the antidote to yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, or <laughs> um, the yes, yes, Virginia, there are these top secret places. Um, so, Nick, let's. I, one of the, one of the hats that you wear is that you run the American office of the British-based Center for Fortean Zoology. First of all, why don't you tell us what that is and what you do? Yes, yeah, sure. Well, the, the Center for Fortean Zoology, the word Fortean, which is F-O-R-T-E-A-N, is named after a man named Charles Fort. And Charles Fort was an, an investigator and writer of, sort of paranormal mysteries and you know, UFOs and strange creatures r- around about the turn of the 20th century. So he kind of did what I do now, but you know, sort of 80, 90 years ago. And so the, the Center for Fortean Zoology is named after him. But as you can probably guess from having the word zoology in the title of the group, it deals with um, unknown animals like, for example, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, the Abominable Snowman, the Chupacabra. Um, so in other words, the group is sort of dedicated to investigating and launching expeditions to find all sorts of different, you know, weird creatures that are uh, reputed to exist, you know, but that science and, and conventional zoology sort of, you know, roll their eyes at and, uh, and ignore. Uh, so it's left to those of us, you know, who are sort of fascinated by these things to, to go out and look for them for ourselves. And, um, you know, I run the U.S. office of the 
of the group and we we sort of you know coordinate and um arrange um you know investigations the the english team for example recently went to russia looking for the russian equivalent of bigfoot um which is known as the almasty and it, the descriptions actually sound like a almost like a primitive ape man like a caveman rather than a bigfoot type creature and many of these reports come from the wilds of siberia where mm. you know the landscape and the terrain and the temperature and everything else hasn't really changed much for thousands and thousands of years mm. so this has sort of given rise to the idea that you know could a relic pocket of you know presumed extinct creatures actually still survive there and you know like a lot of these things we've always been of the opinion that if you're going to talk about them write about them and investigate them you know while the internet can be a great resource tool there's no better way to do it than actually to get out there mm -hmm. on an expedition and hopefully try and find some of these things one day but at the very least you know get good solid witness testimony and travel to the areas where these things have been seen so that's what that's what we try and do and what is um, some one of the places that you went to? Um, well, one of the places I've been, and which I talk about in the book, is Puerto Rico, uh, where back, going back to the 1990s, reports began to surface of this strange creature known as the chupacabra, which uh, chupacabra is a Spanish term for goat sucker because there were lots of stories coming out of Puerto Rico at the time of some sort of strange-looking, mon large monkey-like animal uh, with these sort of vicious claws and fangs, etc., attacking the uh, ranchers on, on the island of Puerto Rico. A lot of ranchers keep goats, and there were stories about goats being killed under weird circumstances and mutilated and blood drained from their bodies, and this sort of gave rise to these chupacabra stories. And, and the reason why I mention this in the Keep Out book is because there are a lot of stories suggesting that there are sort of secret locations and installations on Puerto Rico linked to the chupacabra. One story is that, you know, the, the chupacabra is itself the result of some sort of bizarre sort of gene-splicing government experiment, you know, the idea of sort of modern-day Frankenstein monster-type creatures that have escaped from a, a lab uh, on the island. And although, you know, that's a sensational and controversial sci-fi-like scenario, um, every time I've been to Puerto Rico and interviewed people there, you know, the locals, that is a theory that's actually sort of supported by many of them. You know, they earnestly believe that its government has been up to some sort of weird, freakish scientific experimentation. And there are also stories, you know, of sort of um, secret installations, some of these secret installations being hidden deep in the mountains of Puerto Rico's El Yonqui rainforest, which is this huge rainforest that, that dominates Puerto Rico. And so for such a small location, you know, an island location as well, Puerto Rico actually has a, a large number of these secret base stories attached to it, all of which for the most part revolve around what the chupacabra might be and sort of where it lurks, etc. Hmm. Well, certainly, I mean, it, it, isn't, uh, it isn't too far-fetched. I mean, you could sort of... I imagine maybe even if it isn't someone who's purposely trying to create yeah. a Frankenstein. Or, well, I mean, I guess that was by accident too. But well, I'm not sure if it is, if it's true. I'm not sure if it is by accident. I mean, you know, we are, if we look at what we can verify in this field as well today, you know, just only a few years ago, governments around the world, um, and noticeably, you know, the American government laid down regulations as to what was permissible and what isn't in terms of you know dabbling with 
at, at a genetic level with cells and things mm-hmm. like this. You know, there, there are actually rules and regulations to prevent, you know, um, sort of large-scale manipulation. One of the biggest fears is, you know, you could sort of start having designer children and things like this. Yeah. But, you know, some people might say that's a good thing, but then the downside is there are fears that, you know, you could create like a slave race to do all the hard work, you yeah. know, and genetically create a, a subspecies of humans that are very strong, but, you know, intelligence-wise very limited, you know, where they would do all the manual work. And, um, you know, it sounds against like science fiction, but the way gene splicing and gene manipulation is going on, it will give us the ability in the future to yeah. sort of eradicate and alter certain bodily and physical characteristics if it's left unchecked. You know, it's not necessarily all a bad thing because it could help solve things like Alzheimer's. But when you begin a selective process of, you know, it's one one sort of medical technique for some of us and one for another, yes. and, you know, then it goes down a slippery path, I think. Yes, absolutely. Well, I want to make sure that we leave enough time for you to tell people where they can get your book and where they can um, find out more about you and so on. Yes, yeah, sure. Well, people can contact me and find out more about what I do at nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com. And all my books are sort of widely available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and um, you know, all other good booksellers as well. And um, people want to contact me, I'm always you know, pleased to chat and you know, answer any questions that people might have. And um, I have a blog also, um, where I, which is linked to that particular blog as well. Um, where I update on you know upcoming lectures and conferences I'm doing. So as soon as the you know the, the ones for next year are listed, I'll be putting them up there, providing the world doesn't end next year. <laughs> <or so. laughs> right. Um, so again, that's Nick Redfern's books dot blogspot dot com. Correct. Yeah. Okay, and so it's Nick N I C K Redfern's R E D F E R N S books, books yeah. dot blogspot dot com correct one dot blogspot dot com okay and um, well this is this is just um, really extremely fascinating I mean it must uh, um, I mean there's just so many different things to do you ever do you ever get really um, I don't know. I know you were saying at the beginning about how you have a normal life and so on. <laughs> but does does any of this ever really get to you? Like, do you ever get your, you know find yourself really worrying for, um, for yourself, well, I mean, for your I, family? I worry about you know the, the the fact that some of this stuff could be going on. You know, the idea that there could be hostile forces out there, sort of planning on manipulating the weather. You yeah. know, I think, you know, and, and unleashing biological weapons on us, you know, I think we should all be vigilant and, and concerned about that sort of thing, yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. I just meant that because you're so um, immersed in this, does it ever sort of get to you more than it would... Um, oh, I see what you mean. Um, well, I think, you know, I, I think it would be... Um, you, you, it would be probable that anybody who sort of delves into all these sort of things, you know, has at some point been watched officially or, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of cursory background check has been made on you, you know. But as I said, for, for my um, sort of role in all this, you know, I deal with sort of paranormal secrets and things like that that are denied at an official level. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't go down the reckless path of just exposing, you know, secrets for the sake of it. I'm not in that business because you know it's 
you know, I, I, I wouldn't do it. You know, it's yes. an irresponsible thing to do. Right, but, right. But, you know, when the government, when governments tell us UFOs don't exist and they have no effect on national security, where's the harm in investigating them? That's the way I look at it. Yes, absolutely. Well, let me give out this um, website again, Nick Redfern's Books. Dot blogspot.com. There, I did it. Um, and, and, of course, um, you can listen back to, uh, to this program again because uh, I know you'll all, I'm talking, my listeners I'm talking to now, I know you're going to want to listen to this again because it was a lot to take in. And I thank you um, for, you know, staying on top of this and trying to, uh, trying to get to the bottom of some of these things and yes of course in a responsible way but um you know that you're doing it that which is admirable but just i mean we can't we can't all keep sticking our heads in the sand like i talk about in terms no, of denial right. of no. uh, terrorism and all of these other things so thank you very much for being on the show thank you all for listening you've been listening to dr carol's couch and i'm your psychiatrist host dr carol lieberman Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 